You're listening to the pulpit ministry of North Life Baptist Church with Pastor Harley Snowd. At North Life Baptist Church, our mission is to encourage each person to take the steps of loving God, growing together, and serving others. If you would like more information about our church, please visit our website at www.northlife.church. Now, stay tuned for today's message. Take your Bibles tonight and turn to 1 John chapter 5. We'll spend a few moments here tonight in the time we have left. 1 John chapter 5 this evening. And just by way of reminder, our outline is in the bulletin there if that helps you this evening with our study. 1 John chapter 5, and we're going to look at verse 7 and verse number 8. All right, 1 John, actually chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4, and let's look, if you will, at verse number 7. Appreciate Brother Hackworth preaching last Sunday night when I was gone, and uh, for those of you that were bummed, he wasn't back tonight. I'm sorry about that, but uh, appreciate Brother Jerry and uh, his ministry, and uh, I know the Lord used him last Sunday night. First John chapter 4, let's look, if you will, at verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone that loveth is born of God, and knoweth God. Verse 8, he that loveth not knoweth not, that knoweth not God, for God is Love. And so we've been looking at, for those not here in the past, and by way of review tonight, looking at the vow, how to have, practice marital commitment, the vow that we make not just in marriage, but also in our day-to-day lives and the marriage God's given us. Obviously, this applies to other relationships as well, and so I hope that God has been making those applications in your life. The commitment we want to look at tonight of the six is this, we will commit to building a relationship of love. Let's pray and ask the Lord to help us. Lord, thank you for your word tonight. Thank you for these dear folks that are being here this evening. Thank you for our regulars as well as guests here tonight. I pray you'd help me to be a good steward with their time and to present your word clearly and concisely and yet directly, Lord, we're needed that we might be, our relationships might be stronger, especially the marriages represented in the room. And I pray that we would take from these truths uh, the applications that you have for each of us and to grow our homes, grow our marriages, grow our relationships for your glory and honor as a result of our time tonight. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Um, the other day a friend of mine was talking about he and his wife are trying to eat cleaner or healthier. Any of you ever tried that with your spouse? We're going to be accountable, we're going to be healthier, and then, you know, six hours later you see him sneaking a bag of chips or you're the one guilty of whatever, her. Um, <clears throat> this friend of mine said we're trying to eat cleaner and healthier, and he said this, this was him, this was the first day. Today, my wife and I ate salads for dinner. I am so hungry. I am so hungry. That was his statement at the end. I just laughed, you know, and then plowed into a steak. No, I'm just kidding. But just, it was funny to hear him processing that, the realities of eating cleaner or cleaner or healthier. Um, can I say tonight that a lot of marriages are love-starved? Um, a lot of relationships that we would, if we're honest tonight, recognize that love is not everything it should be in that relationship. I don't know that that's our concern. I think all of us go through seasons where the love wanes or, you know, isn't quite what it was at one season. Here's my question for you tonight. Do we feel helpless about that? And I just want to infuse into your heart a, a fresh sense of hope that God can grow that relationship and interject into it, not a, a lacking or a shrinking sense of love, but a growing one. One author said this, love never dies a natural death. It dies because we don't know how to replenish its source. It dies of blindness and errors and betrayals. It dies of illness and wounds. It dies of weariness, of witherings, and of tarnishings. 
And so love doesn't just, it doesn't just evaporate, it just kind of leaks out. And I want to encourage you through some practical things found in 1 John chapter 4 uh, that we can do with God's help to re-engage uh, on this front for the glory and honor of God. And so here we see in verses 7 and 8 to begin tonight, the Apostle John invites us and admonishes us to love one another based upon the fact that God is love. We're to love one another as in the brother, those who are closest to us. Who is the closest brother or sister we have? And believe as a believer, it, it's our spouse, it's maybe some other family member. And so he, he invites us and he admonishes us to be uh, vessels that God's love can flow through. So we're going to look at quickly tonight three tenses, if you will. If God is love, how does this affect our relationship? How does this affect primarily uh, our marriages? Let's talk about these three commitments in the time we have left. Number one, first of all, you and I need to have love that knows God. Our love for one another uh, in the marriage or in other settings needs to uh, be the result of knowing God. Um, any of you caught, uh, you know what I mean by Crocs? You know what I mean by that? Isn't it crazy how they've come back? Like, I thought those puppies were dead and gone, style-wise, and then you're just like, you got to be kidding me. And they're like north of 60 bucks or whatever they are. You know, it's just a piece of foam, you know, with a little catchy little hinge thing on your heel. And they've said, you know, COVID, you know, both, uh, you know, just the casual wear, people working from home more and medical professionals. There's a lot of soci sociological maybe reasons for it, but they're making a huge rebound. It's just funny, the things that are fats, the things that come and the things that go. And I think often our love is fickle and shallow, listen to me, because we've forgotten how much God loves us. We've forgotten what it, what it means to be loved by God, and, and the reason that our love in a horizontal sense is waning is because we have forgotten the love of God that is directed uh, toward us. And so in the past, John says, love was manifested to us as sinners. How does God manifest it? He reveals it to us through the gift of His Son. And we see that being referenced now in verses 9 and following. All right, let me give you a couple of subpoints quickly tonight underneath of that. Number one, know that you cannot persist in love without God's help. Clearly in verses 9 and following, we see that, that we cannot love the way we should love toward our spouse and toward others without God's help. Look at verse 9. In this was manifested or revealed the love of God toward us because that God sent His only begotten Son into the world that we might live through Him. One of the things I'm learning, and probably you are as well, Heidi and I have been married now 20-ish years. I have to do math. We were married in 01, so 21 years, June, as of June 1st of this year, 21 years. The thing I'm learning as I go, and I see it in my wife as well, is marriage is forcing me to realize I cannot love consistently without God's help. And my wife more so probably has learned that lesson. Learning to love is a, first of all, a learning uh, of knowing our weaknesses and our need for God to be a part of that relationship. John here says that the purpose for Jesus coming to earth, did you see that? This love that's been manifested is so that we might realize our inadequacies and we might live through him this life that he has called us to uh, is a life of love john is saying here that jesus died not only so that we would be forgiven for not loving as we should but also so that we would be able to have the power and the wisdom and the passion to love as we should jesus came to give us that ability and so love tonight is daily admitting to yourself your spouse and your god that you are not able to love 
without God's help, specifically His grace. Um, I know for me, at least Heidi probably, if you would ask her, and I've been joking about this the last few weeks, it's funny how my wife has worked the nursery every night we've had this series. Kind of like, yeah, right, buddy, you know anything about marriage. And I told you as we began, my, my posture is not I'm the scholar of marriage, I'm the student of marriage. One of the things that I am learning in marriage is, is the more we're with someone, the more we know them, and the more we know them, the more we know their flaws, right? Their shortcomings, their finiteness. And so the only way we can love for the long haul is to love because we know God. And God knows us. And it's out of that relationship that we're able to be faithful with love toward our very flawed and finite spouse. All right, verse 10. Herein is love, not, not that we love God, but that He loved us. And notice, sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Number two, jot this down. Know that you cannot initiate in love without God's example. Know that you cannot initiate in love without God's example. God has given us the example. And I think I see Rayleigh and Keith out there tonight. Is this Rayleigh, Keith? Sheena posted this. Uh, did any of you get down to the mutton-busting uh, thing at the fair this past week where the kids jump on the sheep and they try to ride the sheep around and then they eventually fall off? It's a really cute thing. We've been at some uh, rodeos where they do it, where the child gets up on a sheep and they try to ride that thing and looks like Rayleigh at least held on for a moment or two there, um, just trying to hold on, trying to hold on to that, that, that sheep. You know, a lot of times what happens in marriage is we're, we're waiting for the other person to initiate. We're just holding. God initiated with us. He didn't wait for us to make the first move. He didn't wait for us to move in His direction. He initiated with us, and we must follow in uh, His footsteps. Um, and the idea here in verse number 10 is, notice He says this. Uh, I'm sorry, if you will. Yeah, verse 10, He says, God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. The standard of our love is not the love of our spouse. Did you catch that? The standard of our love is God's love for us. I hear this a lot. I do a lot of marriage counseling, and I'm not thinking of anybody in the room here, but I regularly counsel with couples where they're both waiting for the other one to blink or to change. Our God doesn't love us that way. And if our God has not loved us that way, we must be willing to initiate uh, toward our spouse. And so the first move should be yours. The first move should be mine. And so he initiated with us. How did he show his love? By sending his son as the payment or propitiation for our sins. Verse 11, beloved, here's now the application of God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. And so now this lesson and the word if that's found there um, in verse 11 is not a maybe it's true. It has more the idea of since since God has loved us, if God has loved us, we assume that to be true based on the Word of God. If that is true, then our response is we ought also to love one another. God's love is not in question tonight, is it? Aren't you thankful for that? My question is, are we doing the since part? If God has done, then are we doing our part toward the spouse God has given us? So this love that we're to share with our spouse. In Christ's death, God is confronting our dark thoughts of Him. We talked about this this morning, that His love has a limit to it, and yet it never runs dry. As one author said, God's love is an ocean without shores or bottom. It's, it's immense. We have limits to our love. I'll love you this long, or I'll love you despite only this. Where is the following of God's example in our marriage? 
And the thing I notice, are you honest enough to admit this tonight, that often the standard of our marriage is set by our family history. Well, this is how my mom and dad interacted, or here's what's culturally the norm today between a man and a woman or other relationships. We need to reject the social norms of our day and say, am I doing what God intended in marriage? Am I living up to, with his help, the standard that he has given? I give you just a few things tonight that might prompt you to consider in your marriage where there's a love drought. And these are not original with me, um, but a few things from an author I've been reading on this subject, indicators of a love drought. And I just list them for you if you want to fill in the blanks there. Just a brief word of explanation, and we'll move to our second point tonight. But these would be symptoms of a marriage that's, that's kind of in a love drought season where God wants it to be fresh and, and to be everything that he intended in his own relationship with us as well. The first one would be, an indicator of a love drought would be disunity. Um, this would not be um, that we're, we're not exactly alike, but often unity is the result of when love intersects with difference. When you and your spouse have a difference, is there still love there? If there's disunity, if there's disconnection there, if there's self-love that hates the differences between you and your spouse, that disunity is a manifestation of uh, a lack of love. When you're dating, when you're courting, you you love those unique things. Uh, You love those distinct things of your spouse-to-be, and yet as the years go by, if we're not careful, that produces disunity. Number two, misunderstanding. It is self-love that makes you more committed to what you understand than understanding your spouse. You don't care if you misunderstand your spouse. I just want to be heard. I want to be understood. Um, And when that is true of us, that's an indicator that love is not everything that God uh, would intend it to be in your marriage. Thirdly, separation. Um, I I have couples, and probably you've been here at times too, well, at least we're still living together. At least we're still together. It's cohabitation. That's the end game. And, and God wants mirrors to be so much more of the, than that. Often we live separate lives, but we still have the same zip code and the same address. And when there's this coolness and this kind of, we both do our own thing, that's an indication of a love drought. Fourthly, physical dysfunction, uh, where the physical intimacy of the marriage is not everything it should be. I've told you before, I'll say it again, that is the best barometer of the health of a relationship. It's not the, the key Uh, pursuit or agenda of the relationship, but is that what it should be at your season of life? Uh, And if everything else is off, it will affect this area of the marriage relationship. Lastly, conflict. Conflict. You just constantly, there's this kind of agitation and this under-the-surface tension between you and your spouse. I heard someone say this the other day. I thought this was so good. When you love someone real lasting peace is more valuable to you than being right or being in control. I want peace. I'm not saying that we excuse wrong or ignore things that need to be addressed, but are you pursuing and building peace? If there is conflict, your relationship may be in a season of love drought. All right, this last thought, and we'll move to our second point. If you and I know that God loves us, here's what that does in our relationships. It allows us to take our eyes off of our own interests, If God loves me, and I've got all the love I'll ever need from him, I can now focus on my spouse, I can focus on my son or daughter, I can focus on my neighbor, because I have all the love and access to all the love I'll ever need. And it's when we don't believe that, that we begin to look out for ourselves in a way that is selfish uh, and that is self-loving. All right, number two, (laughs) go to verse 12. And there's a second, if you will, relationship with God in this area of love that will help 
uh, our horizontal relationships, especially our marriages. Verse 12, no man has seen God in any time. If we love one another, God dwelleth in us, and his love is perfected in us. Number two, love that dwells with God. So when we have a love that knows God, that's going to strengthen our marriage relationship in this area of love. Number two, we are living with God, and God is living with us. Um, I don't know if you remember when you, especially if your kids were young, maybe you're in this phase right now, but getting your kids to bed, isn't that fun? And they're just, they sync up perfectly with your schedule and they understand, mom, it's been a long day. I'm just going to put myself to bed and not bother you. And yeah, right. Um, the other day I heard this little dialogue. Um, the mom was telling the story. She said, this is quoting her husband who was trying to explain to the kids why they were going to bed right now. And here was the husband's explanation. It's not about how tired you are. It's about how tired you're making everybody else. That's why you're going to bed. Um, you ever get tired of living with somebody or tired of how, how they live intersects with where you're trying to live and, and the noise and the energy levels that don't seem to always sync up? You know that without God act, actively at home in our marriage and in our homes, we will tire out each other's capacity, listen to me, to love each other for the long haul. If it's only about the two of us, my wife and I, or you and your spouse, or others in your life that you do life with, if it's only about the two of you, and, and we're the only two in this room, or in this relationship, you'll wear each other out. There has to be a third party. There has to be someone who is infinite uh, and, and glorious and able to sustain us through those dry seasons. And so love that knows God helps us build love into our relationships. Also love that dwells with God. And so the second tense would be in the present tense. In the past, God manifested his love in that he gave us his son on the cross. In the present, love is manifested to us saints in his indwelling in us. You do know that, right? If we're believers, then when we go home tonight, whoever we live with or whoever we relate to even outside of our home that's family, the spirit is within us. And out of that comes What's the first one? Love, right? The fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering. The list goes on. This love that's shed out of our hearts through the indwelling presence and power of our God. All right, two things under that quickly. Number one, live out your love as a testimonial with God. Live out your love as a testimonial or a testimony with God. And we see that in verse 12, this testifying um, of the reality of our faith, the, the substance of our faith. It's interesting in verse 12 that he says, no man has seen God at any time. All right, A reference back to his first gospel, the gospel of John, um, that, that no man has seen God. But notice he says, if we love one another, God dwelleth in us, and his love is perfected in us. God is no longer seen through Jesus in the way he was in the incarnation. He is now manifested through us in our relationship with one another. Isn't that profound? That as we love one another, what are we known? What, it, what, are, what makes us? What's the hallmark of followers of Jesus? They, by all, all men shall know you by what? Your love one for another. That's why this is so important. And that's why there's so many things attacking and trying to delude and distract us from this kind of love between us. Verse 13, hereby know we that we dwell in him and he in us because he hath given unto us his spirit. And so we see this manifestation that only could we love one another in this way when his spirit is present. Love is being willing to have your life complicated by the needs and struggles of your husband or wife and to endure it or to, to, to shoulder under it without impatience or anger. 
and to remember the whole time that your spouse is maybe not everything they should be to you and you still are called to love them, listen to me, the world is watching. They're framing a view of God. They're framing a view of what we claim to identify with as believers. It's a big deal. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 31 says, For this cause shall man leave his father and mother, be joined unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. Verse 32, this is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife even as himself. Our marriages are a picture of whom? What relationship? Christ and the church. So it's important. This love thing is not just, well, we don't feel like loving each other and don't want to pay the price and sacrifice what's needed. There is a testimony that is at stake. Number two, verse 14, we have seen and do testify that the Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. Number two, live out your love as a fixture, fixture with God. Live out your love as a fixture, something that's permanent, something that's dependable. Live out your love as a fixture with God. Um, I think often our marriage uh, temperature, the relationships we have are very fickle where they should be faithful. There's too much ebbs and flows. The peaks and valleys are often more than they should be due to our flesh and our fickleness. And so John here admonishes us to be constant, to be consistent. And in verse 14, he is an apostle and others joining with him. We have seen. Who's the we that have seen? It would be John and his fellow disciples, the early apostles. We have seen and do testify that the Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. The Father has evidenced his love, a faithful love, a boundless love, through the work of Jesus Christ. And I love verse number 14 where he says, the Father has sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. Does that not include your spouse at their worst moment? Doesn't that include others that you claim to love, that often it's hard to love them? God loves the whole world, not just the perfect people or those that at least posture themselves as so. He loves everyone. Are we willing to follow in his footsteps with faithfulness? All right, verse 15. Whosoever shall confess that Jesus is the Son of God, God dwelleth in him, and he in God. And so this close relationship that we have with God, God is in us and we are in him. I was trying to think of how to illustrate this. What does that mean, that we are in God and God is in us? We talked about the Spirit um, this evening when I came in. I don't know if you saw uh, Miss Brandy and others worked with our kids today and did a great job. They had a real high-energy program, and one of the things they handed out, if you saw, was little uh, smiley balls and then they had balloons with smiles on them, with helium in them. And there was one over here by this screen just kind of up on the ceiling. Some kid lost his smile. And so I had to, you should have seen me try to get that thing off the ceiling. I had like one of our duster wands, and I, I kept getting it down, and then it popped back to the ceiling. Finally got it down. Then I, I'm like, what do I do with it now? I had no string. I really was tempted to stab it and then suck it and then sing, you know, record myself with a you know, chipmunk voice or something. Um, but think about a balloon, for example. That balloon, for example, has air in it, right? But it's also in the air. Um, another illustration might be like a sponge. The sponge is in the water, you know, if you dip a sponge in, but also the water is in the sponge. That's kind of the, the idea here, this intimate uh, connection between us and God. Um, a poker that's in the fire, uh, this idea where the fire is, is on the poker and the poker is in the fire. This, these close proximity, that's the idea here. The object is in the element and the element is in 
the object. And you're saying to me, or I'm saying to you, that I can't love my spouse. When I have that kind of connection with God. God who is love. He doesn't have love, He is love. He who is love is in me, and I am in Him, and I think I'm justified to be abrasive, or to not be loving and tender and understanding to the one that God has handpicked for me to be married to, or other relationships that He has put in my life. And so we need to live out our love as a faithful fixture. We're we're striving to be as consistent as God is. No excuses. We're seeking to please the Lord in that relationship. And so love is a daily commitment to resist the needless moments of conflict. We don't point out minor offenses. We seek seek peace. We seek to be gracious and understanding. And as we do so, God enters that relationship with love. Um, I was reading an author who was talking about how often we miss where our relationships have leaked out love. We don't even see it. And he used this analogy. Listen to these words. Many couples think it is love that keeps them together, but there are signs they may be living in the middle of a love drought and don't even know it. And here was the illustration he used. The dynamic is much the same as what happens in your physical body. Perhaps you had a car accident. A few days later, your knee begins to stiffen. At first, the pain in your knee greets you every morning and distracts you during the day, but before long, you get used to it. The stiffness alters the way you walk, and at first, you're very aware that you're limping, but before long... Your limp just becomes the way you walk. In fact, at some point, you're not aware that you're limping at all. What was once pain has morphed into the normal way your knee feels, and what was once a limp morphs into now your normal gait. You don't feel hampered or crippled by your knee, and you seem to get around quite well. Then, an old friend whom you haven't seen in ages visits you and immediately says, you're limping. What happened to your leg? And it is then that you realize that your normal is actually not so normal. And I just want to challenge us tonight with this. Can we be honest about where we're at in our relationships? Things that we tolerate, things that we just take for granted, and this is just who we are, and be willing to own where we're accepting something less than what God intended for our marriage. Too many couples are not dissatisfied enough with their marriage. I know that sounds counterintuitive. We become satisfied with less than what God intended. We'll be willing not to settle for option B or plan B and limping through life and through marriage and other relationships. Instead, say, God, I want your best. Challenge me to love the way you have modeled so well. All right, so love that dwells with God. Lastly, look at verse 17. Herein is our love made perfect, that we may be bold and have boldness in the day of judgment, Because as he is, so are we in this world. Lastly, number three, love that relies, love that relies upon God. So love that knows God, love that dwells with God. Thirdly, love that relies upon God. Um, I joked about how sometimes it's hard maybe to love our spouse. And my dear wife, I I know I push her ability at times on that front. Um, I'm, I'm obsessive compulsive about details and just different things that I just, I know I drive her nuts on on a regular basis. Um, and somebody was talking about this. They said, you wake up that first morning, this would be after getting married to a person with baboon breath and a rat's nest hairstyle, and you wonder what attracted you so. Um, and then it hit, he talks about him getting up, this man that this lady's married to, rumpled sweats and stumbles into the bathroom making noises you'd rather not hear. Then it hits you, you married a fantasy, but you got a real person. And I, isn't that true? 
at least of your spouse. They probably are thinking that of you tonight. Um, this idea that, that who we are is not as perfect as we would like to project. And so the love that we have with each other must rely upon something more than us. Because I'm not always worthy of love. In fact, rarely is that true. And rarely do I cause just this extemporaneous expression of love on my wife's part. It must rest on someone greater. It must rest upon our great God. Love doesn't protect you from disappointments and struggles. Our marriages are going to go through that. I'm not trying to discount that tonight. But a God-honoring love will provide you with what you need in the middle of it to prepare you for the ultimate morning that's coming, where we all will stand before God. And so the, the apostle here is reminding us of a future, not just what God has done in the past and what he's doing in the present, but this love, when it's manifested in us, that will produce boldness in the day of judgment. You do know that marriage someday is done, right? I, I often will poke my wife with this thought, and she will, you know, she'll give me that look of, dear, someday we will no longer be married, and we'll just be worshipers, and whatever. I'll throw out some spiritual verbiage to it. But marriage is a preparatory experience, right? Same is true of other relationships we have. It's a sanctifying thing. It's a preparing thing. It's preparing us for the day we will stand before the Lord. All right, two things under that, and we're done. Number one, depend upon God for a completion of your love. And we see that in verses 17 and 18. In verse 17, here is our love made perfect. The idea would be maturation. Um, it would be completion. Um, it is perfected, and it is perfected often through these horizontal relationships God has given that we may have boldness in the day of judgment. Uh, and so God is preparing us and using these relationships we have to give to us a love that is fearless, a love that is, that is able to look forward to this day without timidity and instead with great boldness. What is, what's the Apostle John? What does God mean here? I think he means that an unloving Christian is unlike his Lord and may anticipate rebuke and loss of reward at the judgment seat. A loving believer is one in whom the work of God's love has been made complete and the fruit of that boldness will allow him to stand before God and to hear well done and to hear uh, God's favor and to receive reward unto the praise and glory of Jesus Christ. And so this love that we're expressing in our marriages and in other relationships is preparing us for this day in which God desires us to be bold. All right, verse 18, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casteth out fear because love hath torment. He that feareth is not made perfect in love. And so it is the mature uh, believer who is able <laughs> to express love, and that love expels fear. Love and fear are like oil and water. An unloving, unloving believer experiences punishment precisely because he feels guilty and afraid to meet this judge who is a loving judge, but a holy judge. The Christian who loves has nothing to fear and escapes the inner torment of dreading the return of Christ, dreading the judgment seat of Christ, all through this avenue of love. I remember Heidi, several years ago, we were in Michigan, and we had, she didn't know of a new law that had come out, and she had, done, had a minor traffic violation that the, the circuit judge just pounced on her. And so she went to kind of the pretrial. We were just expecting a fine or something. She had to make a court appearance, and... They said, you need an attorney, and you know, kind of, I don't know if you've ever been in that situation where like, you're like, oh no, what do we need to do? I just thought this was a minor thing. And I remember going with her to court um, for the judgment of the judge, and we just got a court-appointed attorney and kind of tried to navigate as best we could as a young couple, kind of just our minds and hearts reeling. Uh, we were getting ready to adopt, 
and uh, obviously legal things. You don't want any of that on the horizon. So we're just navigating a lot in that situation. And I just remember, you know, first, Lord, help Heidi not to like just tell the judge how it is. Okay, that was my first thought. And then my second was, give us mercy. Give us mercy. You know, just Lord, help us in this. And we're, Michigan just had a little different feel in some of those, uh, those uh, courts and those systems. Um, and uh, she got off without, you know, at least major jail time. That'll be how I'll conclude the story. Um, but I just remember that moment of it's us together. We go up or down together, and whatever happens here is going to affect us. And, and I wanted to advocate for her and be whatever I could to support her through that. Can I ask you a question tonight? You ever thought about the scrutiny? This scares me even to say it tonight. Have you thought about the scrutiny of the judgment seat of Christ as it relates to your marriage? Have you thought about it as it relates to your spouse, specifically your contribution in that marriage? And how you've encouraged or discouraged your spouse? These are weighty matters. To love our spouse is a, it's, it's a, it has a longness to it. It has a, an enduring effect. Uh, it's important for us to live in light of that in the here and now. Marriage is a big deal. And so the courage about the future of the believer is only possible as we mature in our love. Where do we most learn how to grow up in this area? It's often in the family setting. And as we mature in love, it produces boldness uh, for the day of Jesus Christ. And so loving is staying faithful to your commitment to treat your spouse with appreciation, respect, and grace, even when they don't deserve it, even when they don't reciprocate. Because here's why. God will bless that someday. God will reward that someday. It's worth it to be faithful to the memory of your spouse if they've preceded you in death before the Lord, to be faithful to your family if you're not married tonight, to be faithful in the areas of relationship you have. It is worth it to do right. It's worth it to love others no matter how they respond. All right, lastly, verse 19. Key verse tonight. I love how John brings this to a conclusion. We love him. We love him because he first loved us. Lastly, jot this down, depend upon God for the source of your love. The completion of your love, he also is the source of our love. And I gave you these quickly tonight because I think often a lot of us got married with fake or faux sources of love, where we saw something in common with someone, and I think a lot of us maybe even got married with these things being what drew us together and yet it must be a greater source if we're to sustain what God has entrusted to our care. And I just give you these four tonight. First, physical attraction. I doubt you married your spouse because they're dog ugly, okay, at least in your mind. And aren't you glad, some of us, that beauty's in the eye of the beholder? At least I am, okay? I, don't, I still don't understand what happened to my wife for those few, those few months and where she finally said, yes, physical attraction. Number two, emotional connection. Often there is that initial buzz or that initial um, that there's something there that's intangible. But as we all know, emotions are fickle and cannot sustain and support under the weight of a marriage. It, can, it must be more than that. Thirdly, these sound good, spiritual unity. Um, you come from the same religious background, and you just get each other, and you have the same values as it relates to spiritual things, and same kind of background, and, and so you, you naturally are drawn to each other. Uh, our marriage has to be sustained by more than even that. Lastly, cultural norms, same cultural background, same area you grew up. Heidi and I both grew up in kind of rural areas, and we have tons of connections, how the churches we grew up in and, and other things like that, just cult cultural norms. We just are compatible on that level. The tendency is to rely on those things as we age, 
in different relationships. And the problem is they cannot bear under the weight of, of trials and burdens and disagreements and misunderstandings. We have to have something or someone uh, that we lean into in those moments. And the thought would be this, anything less than the heart of God as the source of our love leads to disappointment and disunity given enough time and enough pressures. We cave. That's why folks that have been married 30, 40 years, kids move out, kids move on, or maybe there weren't even children, but as life goes on, it, it just it unravels because it rests on these things. And then something shifts, and, and now everything at least is in question in that moment. It must rest upon the heart of God, His love for us, and the loving response that we have to Him. Love means that you should always look to God for the things that He provides. Never ask of your spouse what God can only do. Never demand from your spouse what God has already given you in Christ. Seek fulfillment first vertically, and then serve out of that to your spouse. We must rest in God. He must be the source of our love. And I'll say it tonight as I said this morning. If we can have joy because we have God, we can have love because we have God. If we have God, we have no reason not to have joy. There's no excuse. And again, I don't mean this in a callous way. There's nothing you're going through, I'm going through, or we're going to go through that can excuse away the source or the, 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 the expression of joy in our lives. If God is there, we can have joy. And may I say also, if God loves us, then we can love anything and anyone in the way that he uh, chooses. I think of Brother Reinhardt as he shared that tonight. I remember Brother Fielder. I've traveled with him a few times recently to India, and he said to me regularly, there are people that I struggle to love. I, I don't click with them culturally. I don't have much in common with them. In fact, I kind of am almost turned off by some of their culture. But he said, I know God loves them. Just him being honest as a missionary, as a, as a, a translator of God's word, and I ask God to give me a heart for those people. There's no one we can't love. There's nothing that we can't love through if God is our God. He is love. We must rest in Him. All right, now go back to the beginning of this chapter, John, 1 John, and let's land here tonight. This idea of love and uh, what it should be uh, in our lives. Um, I, saw this, I saw this story a few years ago. This may be kind of a weird picture to you. There's a point to it. Um, but there's a photographer that actually will take pictures of couples where he almost, they, they have to hold their breath for about 10 seconds, but he almost like shrink wraps them. It's the most bizarre thing. It's, I guess, an Asian thing or something. But he, they were interviewing him. I just saw this the other day, and he was talking about the fact that this picture is the bond and the power of love, shrink wrapped in a bag, you know, and I'm thinking, I would be like, I love my wife, but I'm not doing that, okay? There's no photo session close to that I'm going to do. But you're just talking about the power of love and when two are unified and connected. Can I just tell you, the longer we go in marriage, I don't know about you, that's not what I naturally gravitate toward. My pride, my selfishness, my own agenda. There has to be a third party, doesn't there? I, I, don't, I don't always reach for my wife, and she doesn't always reach for me in this and other relationships that we have. It has to be about someone bigger than us. And notice in verse number 1, back in 1 John 4, the Bible says this, Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits, whether they are of God. So this is just prior to the statement that God is love and knowing God. Try the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets are gone out into the world. Hereby know ye the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesseth that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is of God. So it's about knowing God, dwelling with God, 
being in right relationship with God, yielded to God in these areas, relying upon Him that keeps us from moving in the only other direction. Here it is tonight, as blunt as I can put it. When we are not loving our spouse, whose agenda are we serving? Not God's. There's only one other option. And here's what I'm asking you tonight. Do you value love enough to say this is sacred? This is spiritual. This is eternally significant. I choose to love those that God has handpicked for my life. Spouse, children, grandkids, whatever the specific application. And to settle for less than a loving relationship, fighting and praying and struggling for it, in a blunt way, is satanic. It's moving in the opposite direction. One author said this as we close tonight, the more we love any that we are not, the more we love any that are not as we are, the less we love as men and the more as God. Can I read that again? The more we love any that are not as we are, which I think you ask your spouse or others in your life, they would say, yep, we're different. The less we love as men and the more we love as God. Doesn't God love us despite our differences? Doesn't God love us despite the often disunity between his plan and purpose and ours, his agenda and ours, to be like God is to love that one he's put in your life. And so this question tonight as we finish, will you and your spouse finally say, we will commit to building a relationship of love? Not a relationship of cohabitation and business partnership, and the list goes on and on and on. Our relationship is going to be defined by love. Love that's fueled by and sustained by the God that we know. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for your word tonight. Thank you.